0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to our ninth my JS story. This week, I'm going to be talking to Joe Fiorini. Joe, do you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Um, now, do you want to just give us a brief introduction? You, I don't think you've been on the show for a while.
1: Right. So I, uh, I've i been a developer for uh, most of my adult life. Actually, all of my adult life, I guess. Um, I started when, when I was a teenager, um, just playing with uh, HTML and uh their, I guess CSS or whatever the closest thing was at the time. And then um, uh, started playing with JavaScript um, in the late, I guess, late 90s, um, doing some basic like, on-click, on-mouse-over kind of stuff to change the status bar text when you hover over links. And um, I remember on a website, I was very proud when I uh, had the home link, and when you hovered over it, it would say it in the status bar, where the heart is. <laughs> nice. Um.
0: We're going to dig uh, into all of this stuff. Uh, where where are you working yeah. now?
1: Sure, sure. Um, so I work for a company, uh, a private mortgage startup out of uh, San Francisco called Lending Home.
0: Oh, nice. Do you work and from home?
1: I do, yep. Yeah, I work from uh, my home office in Cleveland, Ohio. Nice.
0: Uh, well, you were on, wow, it's been a long time, episode mm-hmm. 61. <laughs> yeah. <What laughs> we're now on? at episode like 245 or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, it's been, uh, wow, almost four years. Um, You were on, you were talking about functional reactive programming, if I remember right.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And you came on with Yuha. I know I'm going to slaughter this name, Pond or something like that.
1: I actually don't remember anymore. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
0: So, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what you're into now and, and you know, what you're working on. Um, But yeah, let's go back. I mean, you were talking about how you got into programming. Um, Mm -hmm. You were doing HTML. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember if you said you were a teenager. Do you kind of want to tell us how you got into programming?
1: Sure. Um,
0: Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. I don't remember if you said you were a teenager. Do you kind of want to tell us how you got into programming?
1: Sure. Um, So I guess computers were always an interest of mine um, from as long as I can remember. Um, and it was, it wasn't until, I don't know, as I was getting older and and started playing with computers, I, uh, started kind of copy pasting some code from, uh, the basic help examples. Um, my first computer was running windows three one, I believe. Um, and so it had basic on it. And so I started kind of playing around with that and tweaking some of the, some of the games, the gorillas game and the nibbles game. (laughs) And, um, but it wasn't until high school, late high school, that I actually, my uh, senior year, I had a professor who, um, a professor, I had a teacher who um, was actually a full time consultant and was teaching part time because he just wanted to teach uh, programming, and um, and he said at the very on the very first day of class, he, he said, uh, we're going to not worry about the SAP curriculum for the first semester, and instead, I'm going to teach you useful things like SQL server and ASP um, not ASP.net, just ASP. Um, and so uh, I spent, we that semester, we actually wrote a search engine that the office ended up using to search for uh, student and classroom schedules. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was really a, uh, it was really a neat class. I learned a whole lot. Yeah. Building real software. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't was, get that in a lot of places. Right, right. It was definitely um very very uh, foundational for me. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Um so yeah, so you're you're building these web uh what was it web or was it
1: desktop? Um no, it was web. It was, it was all web. yeah, it was all web-based. Um yeah, ASP with um with you know, HTML and uh, SQL server on the back end. And then um, you know, I I kind of got more into the back end from then on out. And um for for the next few years, and then kind of got into JavaScript ap- more after that.
0: So tell us that story. You're you're okay. happily coding along in ASP. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, SQL Server is the thing, and then boom, JavaScript. Well,
1: actually, it was there was there was a, a step in between there that was um, I, I started to get kind of frustrated with the whole with Microsoft's uh, development uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the I felt like uh, the Visual Studio IDE had too much, uh, was, was trying to do too much for me, and um, and I wanted, and I felt like uh, the the way that ASP.NET was set up just hid too much of the inner workings of the, of HTTP from me, and I wasn't able to like I really wanted to be able to just work with something a little more bare bones, mm-hmm. and, and that was around the time that Ruby on Rails started getting popular. And so I made the switch. I, I learned Ruby. I spent um, you know, all my nights and weekends as much as I could just coding in, in Ruby, writing Rails apps and doing whatever I could do to, um, to learn that. And it was getting into that that I started to see that there was a problem. Once I, once I got into Ruby on Rails, I started seeing that there's a problem with JavaScript um, and the way that we, we were doing it at the time.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I mean, I remember when, when I got into programming, I got into rails and I remember doing like RJS and um, you know, and then we, we, we kind of moved away from that and we're just doing jQuery on the, in the views. And then, yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering, you know, at what stage of, of rails was this? If you remember like a version number or around what time?
1: Well, um, so when I, when I actually uh, so, when I started doing Ruby and I wanted to find other people doing it, I started the uh, a Ruby user group here in Cleveland, uh-huh. and because there wasn't one at the time, and our very first meeting, I gave the first talk on Rails, and um, I still was kind of getting the feel for like you know using Ruby gems and all that kind of stuff, and um, I remember like the night before my talk, I updated my gems, and all of a sudden I had Rails two. Oh no <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so um, I had I went through and updated everything because I hadn't been keeping uh, that yeah you know, I was just learning I wasn't I didn't know how to like really keep up that up, up to date on rails there was no github yet or if there was it was like not not right. a thing that I could look go look at so you know rails was still in uh, a subversion repository so it wasn't easy to to just know that you know when that rails was almost at 2.0 so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, th- so that was, that was, it was around that time. Um, and uh, yeah, I, we, we, we had a lot of the same thing, you know, just mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of like one-off jQuery code um, in views where we needed it. We had places where, where we had the server rendering JavaScript. Um, yep. And I did that. <laughs> yeah. Just, bit, and it was, it was kind of this, this point where like, I, I saw other developers on my team who didn't want to touch JavaScript code. They were almost afraid to touch like great developers, people who mm-hmm. wrote awesome Ruby code, just afraid to touch JavaScript because they were afraid they were going to break something.
0: That was actually a fairly common thing in my
1: experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I had that feeling too. And um, so, what I really got interested in was, um, you know, this is still code,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: just because it's JavaScript, it's still code. And so why shouldn't we be treating this code with the same kind of care that we treat our backend code? You would never create a 5,000 line Ruby Ruby file. I mean, I've seen them before, but most developers who um, are sane would not do that. Right. Like that would just be very, very difficult to maintain. Um, yet a 5,000 line JavaScript file was not unheard of at that time. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not, a, not a lot of the projects I was on at least.
0: And that's that's without the minifier and compiler right. and all that stuff, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's just like you know that was that well that was really before like the there were many great tools for the compilation and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was nothing, there was no web, uh, there was no asset pipeline at the time. Um, there were some plugins for Rails we started experimenting with that would, um, do concatenation for us, so that we could actually like start breaking things out into smaller modules uh-huh. and um even though there was no like there's no module system or anything like that at the time, but um, we were at least able to get started and start cleaning things up.
0: So, so what was the problem with JavaScript? Was it just the, the overall approach that you had where it was kind of a second class citizen and wound up in these big long files? Like you said, and you had server rendered JavaScript that sometimes didn't always do what you wanted or was it something else? Was there some other issue with JavaScript itself?
1: Um, it's mostly what you, what you just said. So I guess, I guess to say that it was a, an, an issue with JavaScript is the wrong thing to say. It was probably more an issue with the way that we were doing JavaScript at the time. So I wanted to get, I wanted to figure out how do we clean this up? How do we make this code just like any other code? Mm-hmm. And what I found while I was doing that was I actually really like working with designers. Uh, like, as I started getting more into JavaScript, I started working with designers more and I found that I actually really liked that. Um, I like I like building UIs. I like um, thinking about problems from a user's perspective, more mm-hmm. so than thinking about problems like how do we how do we how do we architect the database so that um, so that it's faster or things like that. Just didn't interest me as much.
0: Right. So so you kind of moved over to the land of JavaScript then.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I started I wasn't I mean it took me. Uh, a lot of years to get there. Um, but I started uh, part of the, the other part of the, the JavaScript problem was that, um, we had, um, it was very difficult to kind of find your way around the code because there weren't any really solid patterns. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of a bunch of functions that would get bound to event handlers somewhere. And, right. um, I actually remember counting at one point we had, um, in a code base I was working at the time, we had over 170 document ready bindings oh, wow. throughout the app. <laughs> so when when somebody said, "Hey, we're having a trouble. We're having trouble with we're we're getting a JavaScript error when the page loads," and <laughs> the first question I ask is, "What happens when the so what JavaScript fires when the page loads?" Right. It was very difficult to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when frameworks like um, Backbone started coming out, I started kind of messing around with those. And um, I thought, like, Backbone was the best that we had at the time, but it still didn't quite... It still didn't solve the problem of, like, um, having to manually insert DOM element... Having to manually maintain your DOM. Right. Which is, I think, the devil's work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, jQuery made that a lot easier, but still,
1: yeah. Even still, like, um, having... Like, the idea of having to, like when I add a new comments, getting the HTML and having to, having to say positionally where that HTML goes, mm-hmm. um, makes your, makes your, your JavaScript more brittle because if your HTML structure changes, it could break your JavaScript. Right. So, um, I knew, I, I knew that was a problem too. Backbone didn't really solve that problem, but it solved a lot of others. Um, and so then when the next generation of frameworks started coming out, um, I jumped on those and, um, and that's when like, Doing JavaScript full time actually became like seemed like something I might enjoy. That makes sense.
0: So, are you going to pick a team then? Ember, Angular, React, um,
1: Knockout. I done, yeah, I've done them all. I actually have not done Knockout, um, but I have done I've, I've done Ember, Angular, and React all full time, and um, I can say that I definitely am like React the best. Okay, but did um, you
0: kind of so so you moved through all of them as they mm-hmm. came around, became popular, had different projects there. <laughs>
1: I did. I did a, I did a lot of Ember for a while, and I actually really liked Ember. I liked the community. I met a lot of great people there. Uh-huh. Um, I got. I actually was able to contribute a bit to some of the uh, to some of the Ember projects. Um, and uh, it was it was actually it was a great project. I really enjoyed working with it. But um, nobody, unfortunately, n- none of the developers I worked with liked it. Right. They found it very hard to learn. Um, and so. I started playing with Angular and that seemed easier for people to learn but I felt like the way that Angular makes it very easy to abuse the scope Mm -hmm. and um, I I, I worked on a project full-time where that was Angular and they had places where they would pass scope down into other services (laughs) and then those services would mutate. Well, not necessarily mutate but would add properties to scope. So you would never actually know what properties you have available to you on scope at, at any given point in time. Um, and then, but I did that for a little bit and then when I started my current job, I, I knew I wanted to get more into React. I saw, I had done some Elm on mm-hmm. the side um, and I saw Redux coming out and that was based on the Elm architecture. <clears throat> yep. Um, which I really liked and uh, so I and so I started playing with that a little bit. It really fit. I, I like functional programming a lot so like, the react community has kind of adopted a lot of functional principles. That makes sense. So it just kind of fit with my mental model, I guess a little better. Yep.
0: So, uh, so yeah, so, uh, I'm a little curious too, though, cause, um, the time frame that you're talking about getting into JavaScript full time,
1: mm-hmm. people
0: really didn't work on the front end full time. Hmm. And so I'm curious: Was that kind of a challenge, or did you just find some forward-thinking company that was like, "Yeah, we definitely want you to work on the front end. You know, don't worry about the back end. We've got other people for that."
1: So I didn't actually start doing JavaScript full time until about a uh, probably two years, almost okay. two years ago now. Um, but I guess I was I was pretty well splitting my time between the two for mm-hmm. a couple of years before that. Um, I guess I was working for a couple of consulting companies, so it was um, it was just like when there are projects that allowed me to use these kinds of tools, I jumped on it. Um, I also wrote some tools to make it easier for us to do this. So like um, when the asset pipeline first came out for rails, I really liked it. I was, I, I, I thought finally somebody's tr- taking a stab at like really pushing cleaner JavaScript mm-hmm. code. And then, um, and then grunt came out <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Oh wow! I can actually like configure my plugins and set options, and it's really easy. And um, and one of our uh, at the time, so I was working with a really talented uh, front end developer who just did HTML, CSS, and a little bit of JavaScript, but not much. Right. Um, and he was getting into Grunt. He really liked it a lot. He was getting good at like creating his Grunt file, configuring all of the plugins that he needed. And so we wrote um, we wrote a library called Halfpipe that was actually a replacement for the Asset Pipeline. Um, that would let us use grunt instead, but still be able to use like break assets colon precompile. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, still be able to do a lot of things the same way that we used to. Um, so that made it easier for us to be able to do larger client side stuff. That
0: makes sense. It's interesting. You're, you're kind of delving into, oh, and then we built these tools. So uh, what, what, what have you built or contributed to the JavaScript community that people are going to go,
1: oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Um I guess probably the biggest one was um I um contributed a little bit to the Ember AppKit project which was the precursor to Ember CLI and um and then I actually helped get Ember CLI off the ground um with uh with Stefan who's the maintainer of Ember CLI uh-huh um and so I worked on that for a couple of months at at the uh like when we were first getting it started um, I wrote um, I also uh, at that, around that time because um, Ember AppKit was um, grunt based I wrote a uh, grunt plugin for the ear- an early ES6 module transpiler before Babel and uh, stuff was out there was just like a single transpiler transpiling library for converting ES6 modules to AMD modules well, so you I really like building those tools, don't you? <laughs> I do. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I did at the time. I did. I, I'm not as uh, not as into it now, but I, at the time it was. Um, you know, I, I saw a lot of great things coming coming out um, with like with the like ES6 and stuff like that. It was like, um, I saw that th- these things were going to be the future of JavaScript, mm-hmm. and so um, it made sense to me. Like if I'm gonna if I'm going to do this, we need some good tools to be able to do it. Um, now, at this point, I don't really have as much of a need to work on that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. it made sense then.
0: <laughs> yep. So what is it about building tools that, that kind of got you excited? Was it just that you had a problem solved that you had? Or was it that other people were using it? Or was it something else completely?
1: I guess I was solving the problem that I had, um, mostly. Uh, and like I said, I like to think about problems from a user's perspective and so you know as a developer it's easy for it's easier for me to think about problems from a developer's perspective since i have that perspective (laughs) built in so um i think that's part of the reason why i like working on tools is because it's a little easier to build good user experience that way
0: that makes sense. It's it's just interesting to me, like something like even half pipe, right? Where it's mm-hmm. oh well, we'll just replace the the asset pipeline, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not a huge project or anything.
1: <laughs> it actually was smaller than you think, but um, but yeah, it was it 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 was kind of like we wanted to work with we we wanted to use the tools we wanted to use, mm-hmm. so we'll make them work with what we're, with the environment that we're in.
0: That makes sense. I'm I'm also curious though, like how do you how do you look at this problem? Like, you know what, uh, Grunt would work better in the asset pipeline than whatever's in there. Or, you know, oh, well, it'd be really nice to have some kind of Ember app kit. Um, how, how do you look at that problem and then start trying to figure out how to solve it?
1: Um, so I just kind of looked at, like, I, I knew how to build a Grunt, Had you know, how to, I knew how to build a Grunt configuration to to be able to build an app. Which is a little bit different from how you would actually build a uh, how the asset pipeline would build something because the asset mm-hmm. pipeline works within the Rails server. Resfront right. needs it to, needs to run its own server, so um, I kind of had to. I kind of looked at like, what is it that the asset pipeline does? Well, in the in the end, you run rake assets precompile and it. Runs things through. It runs your. uh, It actually looks at the file extensions and runs them through a library called Tilt, which runs it through a bunch of template processors. Which then you end up with a a pure JavaScript file in the end that gets put into um, public assets. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, so I need a Grunt configuration that will write to public assets. Step one. Um, So we got that, and then um, and then I was like, okay, now we need. uh, So the asset pipeline does. Um by default it just does like some basic um uh it does some concatenation and it does some minification um and it does fingerprinting. So uh-huh. I need to do those I need grunt plugins that do those three things. Okay. And so I got those actually I don't know if we ever ended up getting the fingerprinting in there, but we had the other two, the concatenation and minification for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so you know we get that set up. So it's basically like what does the asset pipeline do? What can I do in Grunt that's similar? Or how can I do those similar things with grunt plugins and then get that configuration set up? Gotcha. And, um, yeah, that was, that was most of the work right there. That That's really interesting.
0: So what are you working on now? You said
1: that you don't do as much tools development. So what right. are you doing? Uh, which is funny because actually one of my recent big projects at work was writing a tool, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, so I do, so I work for a mortgage, a private mortgage startup and, um, I am currently working on the, um, consumer mortgage lending team. Um, so we do business loans, uh, for like, um, companies that do a lot of, um, fix and flips. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also do right now in, I believe five States we do, um, I could, I could be wrong on that, but I think it's five now we do consumer standard consumer loans. Okay. Uh, mortgages, and so I've been working on the on that team, kind of building the experiences for users to either um, like get their rate get a get like a rate quote, or to um, actually manage their um, mortgage in the process between when you actually like start the start the process and when you close. Uh huh. Um, and so being able to like update your rate and change your Select a new product, stuff like that, right? Um, and it's so it's all built. Um, all the work that I do is in React and Redux. Oh, cool! Um, it is. We do. We do have Rails on the back end. Um, so there's kind of it's it's not really a single page app, but it's a lot of um, there's some there's some server rendered Rails, and then there's uh, some a conglomeration of single page apps, I guess. Right. Depending on what part of the site you're in.
0: Yeah, that's usually mostly what I build. I'm doing it with Angular, but yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah, it, it server renders kind of the base HTML and then all the UI kind of bolts on top of it with Angular, and then yeah, you you move to a different part of the app and it server renders that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I think that's all the questions that we have. I sent them to you earlier, and yeah, I, th- I think we're done with that. So let's go ahead. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Conf. Uh, We just picked speakers, things are looking really good, and uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out at jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket, and we'll see you there. Yeah, I, th- I think we're done with that. So let's go ahead and do some picks. Okay. Do you have some picks for us?
1: Sure. So I guess... Um... My my main pick is actually not uh not not software related but more hardware related um, is 3D printing.
0: I hope um, want to get into that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I got a, a 3D printer about a year ago, and um, I really enjoy it. So I guess my, my pick is actually the, the Prusa i3 Make Two printer, uh-huh. um, and the uh, the Prusa 3D Hangout community on Slack that I've been a part of. Where there's a lot of awesome people, kind of helping out and talking about, you know, talking about different 3D printing techniques and stuff like that. How do you spell that? Uh, P R U S A. P R U S A.
0: Okay. Sounds good.
1: Um, and then my uh, my JavaScript related pick I would is uh, would definitely have to be Elm. The programming language Elm. Yep.
0: Elm is pretty cool. We've done a couple of episodes on it. So. Yeah, it's pretty neat. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in with a pick or two myself. Uh, the first pick okay. I have is um, Game of War, and I blame my sister-in-law. She got me playing it over the holidays, and yeah, I've been upgrading buildings like crazy. So,
1: What uh, platform is that on?
0: Um, it's a mobile app. I think okay. you can play it on Facebook as well. but
1: Is it like a massive multiplayer sim, yeah. sim kind of thing?
0: Yeah, so you build you build a city and you build an army and you go collect resources and you have to fight other people for the resources sometimes. And then you have an Alliance and your Alliance fights other alliances. And the, the alliances are all part of a kingdom and the kingdoms fight each other. Yeah. it's it's, it's interesting. I haven't, I haven't done much fighting yet. I have mostly just been growing, Uh
1: but yeah, that's cool. I might have to check that one out.
0: Um, Yeah. The other one that I've been playing a lot of uh, lately is clash of clans. And I've been playing that one for a while, but I, I really enjoy it as well. So, I'll go ahead and mention those. Neither of them have anything to do with JavaScript unless they're written in JavaScript. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) So if people want to follow you on Twitter or see what you're up to these days, what do they do?
1: They're not going to see much. I'm not incredibly active on social media anymore. Uh (laughs) Um, I do have a Twitter account. It's just uh, Joe Fiorini. Um, I haven't haven't tweeted much in quite a while, but um, it is there. Um, Otherwise... uh, yeah, most of the stuff I do re- anymore. You can follow me on GitHub mm-hmm. or, or check me out on GitHub. Uh, that's probably where I'm most active. Um, but most most of what I do these days is for work or um, or I'm 3D printing. So, um,
0: yeah. All right, sounds good. Cool. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming, Joe. Okay.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. All I'll right. Talk to you later.
0: Bye, everybody. Bye.